to Galatians chapter 6. We're making our way through Galatians, and we've come down to the last chapter here. So this week and next week, we'll be finishing up the book of Galatians. So Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 to 10. If you're using the Bibles in the seats, you should find that on around page, 100, uh, page 826 or 27, thereabouts. When I was a kid, I was a pretty arrogant guy. My mom used to say uh, from the, the 80s sitcom Family Ties, if you remember that, she used to say, you know, you're a lot like Alex P. Keaton, <clears throat> which I don't think was a compliment. It was a word of rebuke in the loving way only a mom can give it. Um, I just felt like I was better than most people. Now, there are probably a lot of reasons that I was sort of full of myself at that age, but for sure it didn't help that the church I grew up in was fairly legalistic because churches with legalistic cultures tend to push people toward one of two extremes, fame or shame, arrogance or inferiority. You see, what legalistic churches are about is that they lay out a a series of rules that they set up as super important, and then they teach that whether God accepts you or not is based on how well you keep those rules. And, And so they have cultures where everyone's judged on their performance. Keep the rules, measure up while you get fame. You're held up as a fine Christian. And, and so um, along with, with this being held up often comes a conceited attitude. Maybe subtle, maybe obvious, but either way, it's there. Break the rules, on the other hand, and you get shame. You're a black sheep. And so you kind of shuffle into church with your head down. You, you don't really want to be there, but you go because that's one of the rules and you know you should go there. Well, this is what the Galatian church is in danger of becoming. This is the church that Paul's writing to in, in the letter of Galatians. Under the influence of, of some Bible teachers who had come into this church from Jerusalem, the Galatian church was headed down the path to legalism. The Jerusalem teachers were, were teaching that, that God only accepts those who keep the rules. Want God to accept you? Well, then follow God's law in the Bible. Remember, the Bible at that time, their Bible, was the Old Testament. They didn't have the New Testament yet. And these teachers had highlighted some of the, the biblical commands as being of particular importance for this church. First of all, men must be circumcised. For, for this was the, the sign of the covenant that, that you belonged among God's people. And, and then second, everyone must observe and worship on the holy days, on the, the Sabbaths, uh, the Passovers, etc. The Galatians were, were heading down this road toward becoming a legalistic culture. And, and of course, Paul is writing the letter of the Galatians to say, stop, stop, stop going down this road. The wrong way to get God to accept you is to try to keep all of God's rules. Do you know why? Because if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, God already accepts you. You don't have to earn God's acceptance anymore. You've got it for free through Jesus Christ. Sure, God wants to see your life change. God wants your characters and your lives to be transformed as we saw last Sunday when we looked at the fruit of the Spirit. The way you live does matter. It matters immensely. I mean, just look at verses 7 to 8 of our passage this morning. Do not be deceived, Paul warns. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. 
Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. God wants to transform our lives, but keeping a set of rules isn't the way to go about it, Paul insists. No, Paul told us in, verse, uh, in chapter 5 that that way, the way of keeping the commands is slavery. The way to go about it instead is, is not to work for God's acceptance by keeping a set of rules. It's rather to work from God's acceptance by walking in God's spirit, by being guided by God's own personal presence in our lives and in our community as God comes to be presence in our heart, in our community, and teaches us to love and changes us from the inside out. Because here's what happens when churches go the legalism route. When, when they call everyone to keep a set of rules, they may take on some nice, clean-cut religious behaviors in that church, but the beauty turns out only to be skin deep. Because a list of rules can't change your heart. And, and it can't make you want to love people. It's interesting to me that after Paul gets done with all the theology he teaches in Galatians, when he's finally ready to get practical here at the end and and to address what's actually going on in the life of the Galatian community, in their church culture specifically, what does he point out to them and address in chapter 5? Well, listen to verses, a couple verses. First, verse 15. If you bite and devour one another, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. And verse 26. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Biting, devouring, conceit, provoking, envying. Sounds like a fun group of people to be part of, right? (laughs) No, because that's what legalism breeds. Nastiness, conflict, arrogance, jealousy. Because beneath the veneer of holiness is a bunch of regular people with normal human hearts. Hearts which get jealous. Hearts which feel selfish. Hearts which which stray after stuff that isn't good for us. But in a legalistic church, we can't admit that we have such hearts. So we hide it. We fake it. And, And if we cover it up well and we manage to avoid the obvious sins, then despite our hearts, we're lifted up as paragons of godliness. And and we may well grow smug and conceited. But if we can't hide the darkness in our hearts, then shame on us. We're the failures. We're the guilty ones. Well, Paul calls out the Galatian church for becoming like this. And in verse, rather, chapter 5, we saw he he gives them a vision uh, for becoming a very different kind of church than the one they're becoming. A, A church which genuinely loves, a church which is led by God's Spirit and which is growing in love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control, the fruit of the Spirit. And now, as Paul gets ready to close his letter, he applies this vision to two very specific areas. And I can't think of two areas which are more telling as to whether a church really has grasped the gospel, whether they're focused on living by faith in Jesus Christ, by trust, focused on Uh, trusting God's grace for their place in God's good graces, whether they're focused on being led by the Spirit, God's own transforming presence in their lives, or on the other hand, whether they're still stuck in legalism, trying to earn their place in God's heart. I can't think of two areas which are more telling. The first, which we'll see Paul go after in today's passage, 
is how we handle messy people, people in messes. And then second, how we handle needy people, people in need. Look at how a church handles those two kinds of people, the messy and the needy, and you'll probably see all you need to know about that church. First, people in messes. Listen to Paul, uh, to what he says in verse 1 of our passage. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Paul's talking about messy people here. Those who've gotten off track, they've gotten into trouble. Maybe they're doing something destructive to themselves or to others. Maybe they've made really bad life choices which dishonor God. Now, Now, when Paul says they're caught in a sin here, he doesn't mean someone caught them in the act. No, he, he means that they got caught up. They got tripped up, like, like a bird gets caught up in a net. Paul's being realistic here. He realizes we mess up. We, we get off track. We, we get tempted. We get distracted. Sometimes our hearts get a little bit rebellious. We wind up doing things that aren't healthy for us or for others that we didn't imagine ourselves maybe doing. And before we know it, we're caught. We're in a mess. This happens, right? It it happens to me. It happens to you. So Paul says, let's not pretend it doesn't. It, It happens. And when it happens, the question is, how does the church community respond? Because how we respond is a sure sign of what kind of community we are. Whether we're a legalistic community or a gospel community. Well, when faced with messy people, with people's messes, there are certain ways that legalistic communities tend to respond. And let's look at three of them, and along the way, we'll see how Paul challenges us to respond instead as a gospel community. So the first way that we may be tempted to respond to messy people is to distance ourselves from them. Right? We we think, oh, that's messy. I don't want to get involved. (laughs) I feel awkward. I feel uncomfortable. I, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to act around them. I don't want to validate or approve of their behavior, so I can't be buddy-buddy with them, right? So I guess I'll just sort of avoid them. And, And so what do we do instead? Well, too often we gossip about them to a friend. I have a prayer request, right? I have a prayer request. Did you hear about so and so? We need to pray for them. We're not comfortable talking to the messy person, so we talk about them instead. And then pretty soon, everyone's looking at them from across the room. We've all distanced ourselves from them. They feel the distance. They feel the disapproval. They feel alone. They feel abandoned. This is uh, captured well in in Susan Ashton's song, Started as a Whisper. I might have shared this song before. She slipped into church. She sat on the back row because she thought she'd find a little comfort there. A mother-to-be, but she was just a child herself. And alone, it was an awful lot to bear. Looking around, she felt an uneasiness from the eyes of condemnation staring back. Cold hellos, judgmental overtones, as the hope within her heart began to crack. It started as a whisper, spread into rumor, turned into lies, a blemish in the picture, upsetting the scene in their eyes. It started as a whisper, subtle remarks of disapproval, poor little sister, It started as a whisper, but she got the message loud and clear. Well, that's not how Paul says gospel communities handle messy people. 
Instead, verse 1, those who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Here Paul tells us who should get involved, what they should do, and how they should go about it. Who? Those who live by the Spirit. Now I realize that the old NIV and some of the other translations say those who are spiritual. Uh, That's not a good translation. (laughs) As if there are some superior ones, some super spiritual ones who are to do the restoring. And, And that's why newer translations pick up where Paul's been going with this train of thought. People who are led by the Spirit. Paul has just told all of us in chapter 5 to live by the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit. And so now Paul's saying, if you're living by the Spirit as best you can, then don't shy away. Don't avoid messy situations. If you know this person, if you care for this person, then lean in. Let God use you. That's the who. So next, what should you do? What's the goal of getting involved? It's to see the person restored. Not to punish them, not to shame them, but to restore them. So they slipped off the path. They lost focus on walking by the Spirit. They're down in the ditch. They're in the mud. Don't punish them for it. Don't embarrass them or shame them. Don't walk on by and ignore them. No, offer them a hand. Help to pull them out if they're ready for help. And sure, sometimes they're not ready for help and that's awkward and that's why we maybe avoid them sometimes but the goal is restoration and and then paul gives us the how we're to do it gently paul says gently literally he says with a spirit of gentleness this word gentleness is the same word paul used earlier when he was talking about the fruit of the spirit that we looked at last sunday and you might remember the greek word Paul used there, which we translate gentleness, carries the idea of humility. Paul is saying if you're led by the Spirit, the, the Spirit will be making you gentle. That's part of the fruit that the Spirit bears in your life. You become humble, you become meek, not arrogant, not conceited, not self-righteous. When I went to college as a young person, I was still pretty arrogant, and I made a friend who was at least as arrogant as I was. And, and he was the kind of guy, he, I was a little more timid, he was bold, and, and he took it upon himself to correct people, to, to set people straight for their faults. And, and one time, he and I had an, a disagreement, and he said to me, you know, you're a prideful person. I rebuke you for being so arrogant. <laughs> How do you think I took that? <laughs> Is that the kind of person you want trying to show you your faults? A conceited, holier-than-thou person? No, if you slip off the path, if, if you get stuck in a mess, you want someone to come to you humbly and gently, right? And so what does this gentleness look like in action? Well, Paul gives us some idea in verse 2. He says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. And what's the law of Christ? Well, what did Christ tell us is the greatest commandment? To love God and to love your neighbors yourself, right? Love, that's the law of Christ. And and here's the thing about when people get into messy situations. It's messy. (laughs) And sometimes it involves, uh, it gets costly. Costly in time, costly in energy, costly in money. Sometimes they've lost their job through their own fault. Sometimes uh, they may have badly damaged their marriage. They may wind up in debt. 
they may have a child they're not in a position to raise. And it's tempting to say, you screwed up, knucklehead. It serves you right. Now you pay the penalty. Don't get me involved. I played by the rules. I behaved, and so it's not my problem. No, Paul says, that kind of conceited attitude comes from keeping score. It's legalism, not love. It's not how gospel churches act. No, we bear each other's burdens. Why? Because Jesus bore ours. We realize how much grace God has given us, and and all we can do is pass that grace on to others. Gospel churches realize that grace keeps giving. Grace keeps giving more than people deserve, more than people are comfortable with, more than is easy, more than is fair. That's the point of grace. Grace keeps giving. So we, we help those who fall in love. We're, we're there for them, even if it costs us. Even if we don't think they deserve it, we bear their burdens gently so that they can be restored because that's the goal. And restoration is costly. Okay, so distancing ourselves is the first way that legalistic churches tend to handle messy people. A second way flows right out of it. We've already touched on it. It's to be conceited about how we're doing. To think we're above ever being a messy person ourselves. Listen to Paul's warning in verse 2. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Here's one of the problems with legalistic communities. These communities honor those who keep the rules. They they put them up on a pedestal as if they're super spiritual. And and then they can forget that we're all weak. That that we all have our stuff to deal with, that we're all prone to temptation. And so Paul says, if you're going to be a gospel community, you've got to be more honest and realistic about your own weaknesses and failings. We've got to realize we're all accepted by God, by God's sheer grace. None of us has earned it or, or is capable of contributing anything to it. Do you think I or any of the other leaders of this church are above getting tempted or caught in sin? No. We're human just like you. So, so there's, room, there's no room for being conceited. We, we all have to watch ourselves because we can all slip up too. And then Paul moves on to a third way that legalistic churches tend to handle messy people. And that is that they get in each other's business to compare themselves to one another. Paul says, don't do this, verse 4. Each of you should test your own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. What legalistic communities do is is they keep score of everyone's performance. Well, I clean the church more often than they did. Well, none of my kids did drugs or went to wild parties. Well, it's always the same ones of us who show up. Where are the others? Stop it, Paul says. Stop it. If you want to compare yourself to someone, compare yourself to yourself. (laughs) Are you growing compared to last year, maybe? Go through the fruit of the Spirit we looked at last Sunday. What's the one you're weakest in? Are you growing in that? Do you see progress? Test your own actions and stop comparing yourself to others, Paul says. Be gospel people, not legalistic people. All right, so that's how Paul challenges the Galatian community to handle messy people, messy situations. 
Now let's look at a second area in the Galatians church. We'll spend less time on this one, uh, which Paul applies the gospel to in their church. A second area which is very telling about whether a church has really grasped God's grace and, and is seeking to be led by God's spirit or whether it's still stuck in legalism trying to earn its way into God's good graces. And that second area is how we handle needy people. Let's look at two ways that legalistic churches tend to handle those in need and how Paul corrects each. First, legalistic churches want to know the formula for how much they should help. They want the rule. They want a rule to follow. I, I was like this when I was a young person, when I, my world opened up and I started to see how many needs there were in the world and it was overwhelming and I saw many people who, whose needs were so huge they seemed bigger than I could help with and so I wanted to know what's the formula I should use so I know when I've helped enough so that I can move on with a clear conscience. Because what legalistic people want to do is be able to check the box that they've, they've done their duty, they've, they've helped enough. They don't realize that grace just keeps giving. When I was studying the Bible in seminary, I had a New Testament professor who I kept up with somewhat after graduation, Gordon Fee. And, and as he moved into probably his 80s, I think he's in his 80s now, he, he began to develop mild Alzheimer's. And, and so he would uh, sometimes repeat the things he told me as I would talk with him. And it, it seems to me like every time I talked to him, this is what he repeated. He'd say, Dick, do you know what the problem is with the Christian church today? It's this. What we want is to be right. But what God wants most is for us to be good. What we want most is to be right. But what God wants most is for us to become good. What he means is this, legalistic Christians are concerned about being right, about believing the right things, about having the right list of what the worst sins are, and, and being right with God because they avoid those sins. And, and if we've kept those rules, if we can check them off, then we're upright, we're righteous. We want to be able to check the box, there, I've done that, I haven't done that, good for me, I'm right. I should help the needy? Fine. Tell me the formula. What's the rule? How much do I have to help so I can check that box and be right with God in that area too? But listen to what Paul has to say. Verse 9. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And verse 10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. There it is, no formula that you can use to calculate when you've kept the rule well enough. Just an open-ended invitation. Keep doing good. Don't get weary. As you have opportunity, do good to everyone. Don't give up. And by the way, in the list of the fruits of the Spirit back in chapter 5, the Greek word we we translate as goodness, and also the one we translate as kindness, they both carry a sense of generosity, a sense of practical helpfulness, as in uh, doing good to those in need. That's why I picked up on this idea of how we treat those in need. That, that is the resonance of this word, doing good. And, and so that's what Paul's picking up on and focusing here, because here's the thing. Grace keeps giving. 
The, the God of grace isn't interested in you fulfilling your goodness quotient. Your, uh, sorry, your goodness quota. So, so that you can check that box and move on feeling righteous. No, God is interested in you becoming good. Like God is good. Gracious, like God is gracious. Generous, like God is generous. Open-hearted, open-handed. Goodness is not a rule, right? It's the fruit that God bears in your heart, in your life, in my heart, in my life, in a community of people who are being led by the Spirit. So Paul says, become the kind of people who keep doing good and don't give up. Be the kind of people who do good to all people. And that leads to the second way that legalistic churches tend to treat those who are needy. And that is, they want to know who deserves their help and who doesn't. Who do they have to help? And who are they not required to help that they could overlook with a clear conscience? They want to know who has tried their very best, who basically did everything right and fell into need through no fault of their own versus those who mess up and and deserve to be in need. And so helping them is purely optional at best. And so here's what legalistic churches often do. They, They latch onto that last line of verse 10. Do good, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And so they conclude, well, that's it. That's all we can manage. We'll help our own, those in the family of believers, at least those among us who deserve it, because at least in the church we know people better, and so we can kind of figure out who deserves it and who doesn't. As for outsiders, well, they're not our priority. The Bible says they're not. And, and since we've already checked the box, we've, we've helped enough. Sorry, there's nothing left for anyone else. But listen to what Paul says. He says, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. All people. Sure, start with those in the church, but this isn't about checking a box. It's about doing as much good as we can. It's not a rule. It's not a formula. It's about being transformed into good people. People who don't grow weary in doing good, who don't give up. Because we're people of grace. And we know that grace keeps giving further than people deserve. Paul wants us to become people who who sow seeds of goodness, of of generosity, because they really believe that someday they'll reap a harvest. God isn't interested in seeing if we can follow the rule of being good X number of times to X sort of person with X percent of our income so that we gain points with God. No, God is interested in us becoming generous people, open-hearted, open-handed people, who who give to people freely, lavishly, more than they deserve. You know why? Because that's how God is. And that's how God has treated us. And how God is transforming us to become more like him so we pass that on to others. That's the gospel. That's grace. And grace keeps giving. And so that's how gospel churches treat those in need. Well, somewhere along the way, my mom stopped comparing me to Alex P. Keaton. <laughs> and I hope it's because I'm less conceited than I used to be, and not just because she's become more gracious than she used to be. <laughs> and, and if that's true that I'm less conceited, then, then I'll tell you how it happened. I'll tell you how it happened. I came to really internalize the gospel. I came to realize that, that my heart, left to itself, is capable of all sorts of horrible and dark things. 
And it's only as an act of sheer grace that God accepts me as one of his children. And any progress I've made in becoming good is only because I've, I've leaned into the Holy Spirit's efforts to lead me and tra- transform me. And trust me, the Holy Spirit has not had an easy job of it. <laughs> and so the least I can do is share the grace God has shown me, to share it with others by doing good to them, by showing grace to them. And not just to those who deserve it. Because the point is that ultimately no one deserves it. And so I'm free to just do good to anyone. Because grace keeps giving. And may we continue to become a church who does the same. May we continue to become a gospel church. Let's pray. God, thank you for your gospel. We never get enough of it. It never fully sinks in. There's so much rewiring that needs to happen in our brains and in our hearts so that we come to understand and embrace your ways, which are not like our ways. They're not like the ways of the world around us. I pray that you'd give us gospel hearts, that we would sing the praises of your grace and share that grace with others. Amen.